Last Sunday, we began our Multiply series and we saw from the book of Acts that Jesus gave a charge to his disciples. He charges them in chapter one, verse eight of the book of Acts to be witnesses. He tells them, you're gonna receive power. The Holy Spirit's gonna fall upon you and that having received that power, you are to go to the ends of the earth, declaring to all the peoples who I am and what I have done for them. And that's a charge that resides upon us today. We are still called to be witnesses as the people of God. And so because of that, this morning in the second week of our Multiply series, I wanna build up on that calling even more to help us see that for us to be faithful, to be global witnesses to Christ will require boldness from us. We need boldness. We see this as the book of Acts continues on because as the apostles go out in gospel action, that's why it's called the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, as they go out and take gospel action, it requires God-given boldness. That's always the case. Anytime God calls us to, to God-sized gospel action, it requires God-given gospel boldness. And the reason for that is because there is risk involved. Anytime we step out in faith, anytime we take gospel action, there is a risk. That's what makes it a step of faith. But here's the other encouraging piece of this as you read the book of Acts. Every time you see the apostles, the disciples step out and take gospel risk, as they step out in faith, they get to experience the faithfulness of God. You know, one of the central questions of the book of Acts could be, are we willing to take faith-led risk in order to be faithful witnesses? Are we willing to take faith-led risk in order to be faithful witnesses? Are we willing to be bold for the sake of the gospel? I want us to wrestle with that question today. And we're gonna spend the majority of our time in Acts chapter four. So since we left off at Acts chapter two last week, let me do a little bit of, of context building to help us move from Acts two to Acts, to Acts four to help understand what's happening in the book of Acts at this point. The Holy Spirit has fallen upon the disciples just as Jesus promised. And immediately after they are filled with the Spirit, Peter stands to deliver one of the most incredible sermons ever recorded in scripture in Acts chapter two. And the main point point of this sermon is found in verses 22 to 24. Let me read them for you. Peter says, to the devout men from every nation under heaven gathered at Pentecost, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And after Peter delivers this incredible sermon, this incredible charge to all those listening, the people begin to respond. And they ask Peter, okay, what do we do? What then shall we do in light of all that you are telling us? And Peter says to them, you need to repent and be baptized. 
Repent of your sin and believe in the salvation that can only come through Christ. And what is the result? Around 3,000 people, the scripture tells us, repent and believe. Remarkable. Remarkable. And after that incredible evangelistic moment, believers are, are gathering with one another. They're challenging and encouraging one another. And they are praying to the Lord. Things are going remarkably well. Smooth sailing. But then something challenging happens. In the beginning of Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are arrested. They're arrested. Why? Well, because according to the scripture, they are causing a disturbance. Sometimes being a faithful witness for Christ causes a little bit of disturbance. You see, like in Acts chapter 2... The apostles, the disciples, Peter, continues to proclaim the gospel. And in Acts chapter 3, their proclamation is accompanied by a miraculous sign. They heal a man who was born lame. They're going to the temple and he asks them for money. And Peter responds in verse 6 of chapter 3, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give you in the, Lord, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Get up and walk and Peter takes this man by the hand, and you know what he does? He stands up and walks, lame from birth, and now by the power of the word of Christ, stands and walks remarkable. And as a result of the testimony they have seen, the, the gospel proclaimed and what they have witnessed in this miraculous sign, many more people believe. Many more people repent and are baptized. And there's rapid growth happening throughout the church. In chapter 1, verse 15, the Bible says there are around 120 believers gathered together. In chapter 2, verse 41, there are 3,000. And then in 4, 4, the Bible says that the number of men alone, number 5,000. It's likely that in just a couple of chapters of the book of Acts, there are now 10,000 believers in Christ who have repented and believed. Remarkable growth. And while that's something that we celebrate, there were others at the time who were threatened by the growing witness to Christ. Because the more people believed in Jesus the more it threatened their own power and control. The Jewish leaders of this day did not like it because it threatened their influence, but also their position with Rome because the empire did not like disturbances. And anytime you have people proclaiming that Jesus is a true king, that he is greater than Caesar, there's a little bit of disturbance to be had. And as a result of this, this threat, Peter and John are arrested. Now I want you to think about this. All they are doing is being faithful. All they are doing is doing exactly what Christ asked them to do. Offering witness. They healed a man. And the crowd gathered around them to marvel at the sign. The man himself is clinging to Peter and John. And what they did was offer faithful witness. They didn't want anyone to think that it was by their own power that this man was healed or that salvation was available to them through Peter and John. No, they redirected their gaze and said, turn your eyes upon Jesus because it's 
by his name, his power, that this man has been healed. And you want to know something else? You need to be healed of something greater. And there is salvation. There is healing. And no one else but Christ repent and believe in him. And as a result of their faithful testimony, they are arrested. So what does Peter do now? Does he quit offering witness because he's been arrested? There's a threat? No, he doesn't give up. He continues to offer faithful witness even before the leadership, the Jewish leadership of the people who had the ability to have harsh punishments given to him. Look at Acts 4, verses 5 to 12. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has be healed, been healed, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation and no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Peter steps out in supernatural faith. He takes a risk for Christ and preaches the gospel yet again. He lets everyone in earshot know that their only hope is in Christ, that Jesus gave the power to heal this man, to show the power that he has to save through all men by his death and resurrection. And Peter does not care what it would cost him. He offers bold witness for the gospel. What a challenge for us. How often, church family, do we face resistance? And the moment that resistance comes, we buckle. We shut down. But here, Peter's life, his freedom, they're on the line. And yet he still faithfully proclaims the gospel with incredible boldness. But then something really interesting happens after this scene resolves that I want us to take note of. After the people consider what Peter has said and after he is released, Look what happens when Peter and John rejoin the other believers in verses 23 to 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles, the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats 
and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Having boldly proclaimed the gospel of Jesus Christ, Peter and John rejoined the church to pray. And here's what they pray for. Wait for it. Boldness. They were bored. I mean, they were bold. Incredibly bold. And then they go back to pray for more boldness. Because they knew. They knew that this kind of boldness was not natural. It was supernatural. Here's what this means for us. In order to be faithful witnesses, to live for God's glory like he has called us to, we need help. We need help to be bold and to take gospel risk. We need to be in prayer before the Lord, asking him to empower us through the work of the spirit to boldly speak the gospel of Christ, to take appropriate risk as he asks. Because here's what's at stake. Do you know that globally there are around 8 billion people in the world today? That's a lot of people. And that number is rapidly, exponentially growing. 8 billion people, all of whom can only be saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only way. Almost 5 billion of these 8 billion people live in places where there's less than 2% evangelical Christian witness. 283 million live in places where there is no known evangelical witness. Now they think about locally, and I want to spend some extra time here because our local mission will be more directly affected, at least immediately, by our Multiply initiative, although it is certainly our prayer that what's happening or what will happen, Lord willing, here locally will have ripple effects globally. I want to give us some more statistics to help us understand the need locally, because I think you may be surprised of the gospel need right here in Raleigh, North Carolina. The Raleigh metro area grew by 23% between 2010 and 2019. So the decade beginning in 2010, we saw a 23% growth in Raleigh, North Carolina. In that decade, that means we added nearly 261,000 people to our overall population. So whatever it was in 2010, we added 261,000 more people for an average of about 26,000 new people every year in the Raleigh metro area. And then in 2020 to 2021, we saw another 28,000 people added to that number. And so the trend suggests that in the foreseeable future, we'll be, av we'll be growing as a metro area by 26 to 30,000 people. Every year, 26 to 30,000 people moving into our area. Now let's focus on Creedmoor Road, our property right north of 540 on Creedmoor Road. Within a five mile radius of that property, over the next 10 years, there's probably gonna be about three to 4% growth, representing an increase of about 4,000 people 
And that means in that five mile radius over the next 10 years, there will be about 122,000 people living in the shadow of our steeple at Creedmoor Road. And the major growth in this area is gonna be between the ages of 14 and 34 and then 65 plus. Now listen to this in terms of lostness. Because in that population, in that 122,000 people, almost one third of them would consider themselves to be religious nuns. Meaning that they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. God doesn't come into their mind. They don't believe in God. They don't think about God. They have no religious association whatsoever. And when someone asked them about their belief system, they willingly said, we have none. They weren't trying to fake it. They weren't trying to to go to church just for the, the routine of it. They are actively disengaged, uninvolved. Less than one third of those people in five mile radius of Creedmoor Road would consider themselves to be evangelical. And it's likely significantly less than one third. So think about this. This is stunning. These are stunning numbers that should humble us, church. Over 40,000 people 40,000 people, that's about the size of the city of Wake Forest. 40,000 people, that's, that's four times the size of my hometown. 40,000 people within a five mile radius of our property at Creedmoor Road do not know Christ. We know that for a fact. And it's likely significantly more of that. So Paul's question And Romans 10 rings out truer than ever when we hear numbers like this. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching the gospel? Belief, the status quo simply will not do. The status quo simply will not do. Gospel action is needed to address this spiritual lostness. So what can we learn from Peter and John's example in Acts chapter three and four to help us complete the task? To help us be faithful, bold witnesses, to take gospel risk as Jesus has asked us to for the sake of those who do not know him. I wanna just talk about three foundations for a bold witness that we can gather from Acts 3 and 4 that I hope will motivate us and serve as a foundation for this whole initiative that we are engaging in. Three foundations for a bold witness. Foundation number one, in order to be bold, we need a deep-seated conviction about the need for the gospel. We need a deep conviction about the primary need of all people for the gospel. Church, do we believe, do we we love people enough? Do we love people enough to move beyond our fear, to move beyond our comfort, to move beyond what it could potentially cost us in order to share the good news of Jesus with those around us? And do we believe truly that it is ultimately primarily what they need? Because church, we don't exist to just offer good advice. We exist to proclaim good news. That's a huge difference. We don't just have good advice, we have good news. 
Here's a helpful question for us to ask as we think about the way that we engage with those around us. When, when our friends are in a moment of despair, when we see people around us in need, what are we offering to them? A pep talk or Jesus? Think about the example of Peter and John here. They spoke to the actual need of this man. Yes, they helped his physical ailment. But that was just a temporary fix. At some point, his body was gonna break down in some other way. But the greater healing they offered was the one that Christ could give. And that one lasts for eternity. Listen, church, it is good for us to care about social issues. It's good for us to care about the, the physical brokenness of this world, the way that sin wreaks havoc in the created order. It's good for us to care about injustice because God cares about injustice. God cares about slavery and the fact that today there's more slavery on the earth than at any time in the history of the world. God certainly cares about abortion, an incredible injustice. God cares about the poor and poverty. All these things are clear from God's word. And because God cares about it, we should care about it as well. But hear me, as we serve these populations, and as we seek as much justice as we can find on this side of heaven in a broken world, let's make sure that we also speak to the ultimate true need of these people. It's not just enough to feed people physically. We should, and don't hear me say anything other than that. We should meet the physical need, but we must also feed them spiritually because the physical is symptomatic of something greater, a greater spiritual reality. And if we stop short of the gospel, we have ultimately failed those people that we are trying to help. So yes, offer actual water, but also offer the living water that will cause people to never thirst again. That's what we are called to because the gospel is their greatest need. Do we believe that? Is that a conviction deeply seated in our heart that the gospel is the greatest need of humanity and does it show up in our life? That's the first foundation we must wrestle with as a people. Secondly, foundation number two, in order to be bold, we need gospel awareness. A conviction about the need for the gospel, but also gospel awareness. We gotta see the world through the lens of the gospel and be sensitive to moments when the Holy Spirit of God wants to work through us to address gospel need. Peter and John were open to the work of the gospel happening at any moment. Look at chapter three, verse one. Peter and John were going to the temple to pray. That was their plan. Hey, John, you wanna go pray? Oh yeah, Peter, let's go pray. So they make their way, like faithful Jews, to the temple to pray. That was their plan. But as they were going to the temple to pray, an interruption happened. This lame man who had been brought to the beautiful gate by his friends calls out to them. And they didn't dismiss him. They didn't ignore him. Oh, sorry, brother. We've got to go to pray in the temple. And you know, the temple, it's on a, it's on a strict timeline. They've got a strict clock. They're not going to wait on us. So why don't you just wait here or we'll deal with this another day. We have plans and we can't let those be interrupted. That's not what they did. They didn't ignore him. They, they were open 
to God interrupting their plans for his greater plan. You see, gospel awareness understands that God is at work all the times, at all the time in ways that we cannot see. And that we have the, the blessing and privilege to join him in his redemptive work anywhere, anytime, if we are committed to being sensitive to his leading, if we, are, if we are committed to making the work of the gospel our priority. Now, here's what we believe, Bayleaf. God is not surprised by the growth happening in our area. Actually, we believe it's providential and sovereignly orchestrated. People are moving into the shadow of our steeple by God's hand on purpose and the direct area of our ministry responsibility. And they are, they are in need. They have expressed, they have stated clearly, they are in need of the gospel. Here's the question. Will we let God interrupt us? Will we let God interrupt our plans in order to do something about the lostness in our area. Because church, I think it's time for a gospel interruption. Amen. I think the church, Big C Church, I think we need a wake up call. Because this lostness is not new, it's just becoming more pronounced. And we need to act in alignment with God's movement to engage it. So will we allow God to interrupt us. Will we allow him to interrupt our schedule? Yes, we have plans. But as we go about our plans on a day-to-day -day basis, are we even remotely thinking about God's plan? Are we even asking God, how can you use what I have planned today in order to help us be a witness? Will we allow him to interrupt our spending? God, I was planning on buying this. I was planning on saving this. I was planning on this vacation or, or this purchase, but do you want me to do something else with this money that I've stored up that you've given to me? Will we allow him to interrupt the status quo for the sake of reaching new people with the gospel? Jared, I like things the way that they are. I like things the way they've always been. I'm comfortable, but what if God is calling us to get uncomfortable? Uncomfortable because of the lostness in our area. Church, this, this multiply initiative, the work that God wants to do in and through us, through multiply, it will require more of us. We will need more people to be willing to serve and use their gifts to help the ministry, to help this ministry here at Bailey flourish. We will need people to think differently about their spending habits over the next two years to see the provision that we need raised for Creedmoor Road. We'll need people to think differently about their preferences and traditions because we may have to change some things. The primary things will always stay the same, but are we willing to be flexible on some things for the sake of reaching more people for Christ? Let's not miss out on the plan of God because of our unwavering commitment to our own plans. Let's hold everything with open hands and ask God to use whatever, however, for his glory. But also remember church, you don't have to wait for Creedmoor Road to be developed to start engaging lostness today. Amen. And we shouldn't. In fact, I hope that this work toward Creedmoor Road awakens us a little bit and shakes us a little bit 
so that we are more committed to engaging the lostness around us for the sake of Christ. We can and should do the work of an evangelist now. Let's live with gospel awareness. Let me just give you some examples of things that could work in your own life. Let's say that you're sitting at a restaurant waiting for your food. And you can tell your waitress is having a bad day and maybe the kitchen's having a bad day because your food is delayed. Well, you've got a choice in that moment, don't you? You can be aggravated and you can start causing a scene or a ruckus. But what if God is giving you more time with this waiter or waitress for a reason? What if you said, hey, I can tell you're stressed today. Is there something we can pray about for you? Because we're about to pray for our meal. We would love to pray for you. Do you need prayer? What if we just had a conversation to figure out what their spiritual condition is? Who knows what that person may be wearing, shouldering in their life. And it, it, may, the, it may be the Lord sent you there and messed up an order in the kitchen in order for you to be able to have a conversation with them that could have spiritual fruit over time. Let's say you go to the playground, same playground every week for play dates. And you're gathered with your friends, but you notice another family, another mom, another dad, another family, maybe by themselves. And you think, you know what? We should go have a conversation with them. We should invite them to come and talk with us while our kids play. Who knows how the Lord may use that to open up a spiritual door to help you have a gospel conversation that could lead to their salvation. Here's the reality. Let me just give you another couple, a couple other stats. There's this kind of graphic going around social media from churchgrowth.org. Do you know why most people come to church for the first time? Advertisements account for 2%. When people ask, hey, why do you come to church? 2% of people said, because we saw an advertisement. And so we said, hey, let's go try out that church. 6% said they came because of an organized visit. Maybe the church has visitation and they're doing faith or EE or some sort of program like that. And they went to their home and, and invited them, kind of a cold call to come to their church. 6% said they came, another 6% said they came because a pastor invited them. So that makes me feel a little humble. Only 6% come because of a pastor invited. But listen to this. 86% of the people, 86, turn to your neighbor and say 86 86% of the people said they came because they were invited by a friend. Friendship has power. The Lord uses our relationships if we're willing to live with gospel awareness. Who do you need to invite to come be a part of God's people? Our hope and prayer is that God will use multiply to interrupt us in the best way possible to get us thinking about engaging lostness an engagement that can start today. And then third, foundation number three. In order to be bold, we need continued empowerment. I'm blown away that after all of Acts 2 and Acts 3 and Acts 4, Peter and John went and prayed for more boldness. It's like a billionaire praying for more money. They got it. They got boldness. And yet they feel the need to go and pray for more because here's what they understood. They're not bold on their own. This boldness is a work, a fruit of the spirit within them. And Peter knew this most of all. We've talked about him. Remember the Peter we saw at the end of the gospels, at the end of Matthew? It's not the same Peter that we're encountering here in Acts 2 through 4. Because what happened? 
When, when Jesus was arrested in front of these same people and Peter thought that that could, that could happen to him, he responded in fear, right? He denied Jesus three times, but then something happened. Jesus restored him and the spirit of God fell upon him. And now he can't stop proclaiming. Remember, every time he stands to speak something bold, it's Peter filled with the Holy Spirit of God stood and proclaimed. And listen to some of the things he said. It's just remarkable because these people are telling him to stop talking. The rulers, the people said, hey, what are we going to do with these guys? What are we going to do with them? Because they're causing such commotion that we might not be able to come back from this. A notable sign, verse 16, a notable sign has been performed. It's evident to everyone. We can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name, the name of Jesus. So they called them, they charged them not to speak or teach anywhere in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, incredible. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak. We can't not speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people who were praising God for what happened. For the man for whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Empowered by the Spirit of God, Peter says, we can't not speak about Jesus. You can tell us to stop all you want, but it ain't gonna stop. Church, we've been empowered by God to be faithful to God. The moment you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit of God takes up residence in you. And one of the works of the Holy Spirit in your life is the work of empowerment. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us to live in a gospel sensitive way as he guides us and prompts us into gospel action. It's the Holy Spirit who moves us to speak and gives us the words to speak so that he can draw people to himself, to the Lord. Moreover, it's the spirit who helps us overcome spiritual obstacles to remain faithful and bold. The, the spirit gives us supernatural faith in God and his redemptive plan to keep us going. The question is, are we, are we willing? Are we living in such a way that we will be sensitive to the movement of the spirit? So church, let's be a prayerful people. That's why in this season, we're calling all of us to pray for 40 days before the Lord, for God to do something in us and through us that only he can do because we believe that for our witness to be effective, to actually engage the lostness around us, we need the spirit of God working deeply within us. Let's be a prayerful people. Let's be a word saturated people. So the spirit can use the words of scripture in our witness. I heard someone say one time that our responsibility before the Lord is to create a library of truth, a library of God's word in our mind so that at any moment, the Holy Spirit can pull one of those books off the shelf, one of those verses off the shelf to use it in a moment of discussion or encouragement or witness. So let's, let's memorize scripture. Let's, let's dive deeply into the word of God so the spirit of God can use it but also know that there are times when you'll probably know something or say something that you have no business knowing or saying because the Holy Spirit can overcome that.
but let's also not make him overcome more than he has to. Let's seek to be good, useful servants for the kingdom. And let's be a broken people. I, I hope those numbers just don't come in one ear and go out the other. I know numbers can be impersonal sometimes, but every number that we mentioned earlier represents a person, a soul that will spend an eternity somewhere. And I hope that that grieves us in the best way possible. I hope it awakens us, interrupts us to the need around us and that we will take gospel action because church, we have good news to share. Good news. Let's be bold witnesses for Christ. Let's take gospel risk because we believe the gospel is the greatest need of the people. Because we have a growing gospel awareness and because the spirit of God is within us, empowering us to act. Let's be faithful, bold witnesses for Christ. Let's pray, church. Father, we do give you thanks. We give you thanks for the sacrifice of Jesus. The greatest gift you could have given, you gave freely and willingly. Everything that happened to Christ was according to your definite plan and wisdom. And we give you praise and thanksgiving for that. Thank you that he willingly, freely offered his body. Thank you that he shed his blood to defeat our greatest enemies, sin and death. And that in him, we have found salvation because there is salvation in no one else. We give you praise and help us, God. Convict us. Use this visible witness as a call to give verbal witness even more to what you have done for us in Christ. Find us more faithful because of our time before your word and our time in the supper, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us this week at Bayleaf. For more information about Bayleaf Baptist Church, visit our website at bayleaf.org.